night, my family and I, as we do, had family altar. And we had a decision to make. We had finished reading through the Gospel of Luke. And we had to decide what to read. I suggested, since we were going to be studying Revelation with Brother Brickle, that perhaps we should read through Revelation. And my kids were quick to remind me that we had already done so. So for all of you that think I don't like Revelation, my children have read it through with me. It's in the Bible. You can ask me off, off stage whether I think it should have made it into the Bible, but it made it into the Bible. So here we go. We get to deal with it. So they said, no, Dad, we don't want to read Revelation. Somebody else suggested another book and another, and I think it was my wife who said, well, why don't we read Genesis? And, uh, and then I got a bright spark just out of just the fluke, and you all know that our family's weird. And so I said, well, let's read it out of a different translation. And uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Eugene Peterson, if I remember correctly, was a Presbyterian pastor, but with some decent scholarly chops with regard to the original languages. And over a number of years as a pastor, he translated the Bible. It's known as the message. Now, you have to understand what kind of translation it is. It is not a literal word for word, but rather Eugene basically said, I want to make it so that it is a common person's language. It is understandable. And so as we read through chapter 1, my children chortled at the various ways in which Eugene Peterson had chosen to present, and they really got a kick out of the one passage where God spoke to the earth and says, green up. Isn't that funny? Green up. It's like, man up, earth, grow some grass. And uh, so just some unique and funny ways of saying it. And, uh, and it's the genesis of that, because the Lord had been dealing with me all day with regard to a thought. And he really had given me a title without really directing me with clarity as to which passage. But then he, he dropped a passage in my mind. I couldn't remember exactly what the chapter and verse is. I am not one of those biblical scholars that can cite you chapter and verse. It would require a lot of discipline, and I made it through Bible quizzing, and I'm not doing that again. I love Google. I have phrases stuck in my head. I can find anything I want to find. I just Google it. Scripture and the phrase, and I find it. God, forgive me if that is irreverent, but that is what I do. And so there was this thing that was kind of batting around in my head, and so Last night, before I went to sleep, I finally went and I looked at the specific passage that he had been batting around in my mind, tied to the title that he had given to me. And on a fluke, probably because I was there, I read it in the message. And as I read it, I moved from verse to verse to verse. And as you're going to hear me tonight in my series on letters to leaders, the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy, and I'll deal with this specifically tonight, so... Yes, this is a shameless plug to come back tonight. He said, while you're waiting on me, Timothy, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. And I had already prepared for that. I knew about that, and that was in my mind. And so as I read this passage, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, give them my word. And so this morning, the bulk of my message will be the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. I may pause to highlight something, but I really believe the power of what we need to hear this morning in the presence of the Almighty has already been laid down to Scripture. 
And Scripture is the foundation of all that has been created. If you need a new beginning this morning, it'll come out of the Word of God. If you need a miracle this morning, it'll come from the operation of the Word of God. If you need forgiveness for your sins, it will come because of the operation of the Scriptures. The Word of God is what created everything that we know. And it's at the Word of God that everything that was created will be destroyed and created anew again. And so, Romans chapter 5, and I would encourage you that this morning, because it is in common language and really I hope that I can read it well, I would encourage you, if you can, to not be distracted but focus. Listen as if you are perhaps that ancient audience that the majority of you could not read. That you had to listen to this being read in the voice of a woman by the name of Phoebe. Paul says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us. Set us right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And I did not know what Desi was going to speak this morning, but look at God. Show off. You cannot round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into your life through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and he doesn't wait for us to get ready. He didn't and he doesn't wait for us to get ready. If you're sitting here today and saying, I'll come to God when I've got things straightened up, God's not waiting on you. He's already preparing your place in heaven. He's already prepared the plan for your salvation. He's not waiting on you. He's got it all ready. So the moment you throw open the door of your heart to him, you're going to find he's already prepared and thrown open his heart to you. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. Christ died 
before you could even get ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We, un- we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. He died while you were of no use. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, just think how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say, All of this in plotting prose. We sing. We shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. If you want to understand why the shouting was going on, if you want to understand why the worship was happening that way, if you want to understand why we get a little noisy, if you want to understand why I had to run this morning, it's because I cannot express this amazing friendship with God in the plotting terms of just prose. It has to be sung. It has to be shouted. It has to be rejoiced at because I am not worthy, and yet he still made me with him. I am not worthy, and yet he still died for me. I am not worthy, and yet he still made me right with him. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the death end, at the dead end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There is no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. 
the verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery like life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides? Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one, one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance. I want you to see that. Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that, that threat is the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the hope of the gospel. This is not a message of damnation and hell. Is there hell? Absolutely. Is there death? Absolutely. Is there sin? Absolutely. But in the midst of sin, God has introduced this, how did he put it? This aggressive forgiveness. Oh, I love that. Eugene Peterson has grabbed a hold of something. This isn't God going, well, I guess if you ask nicely. Well, if you can find me. I'll forgive you. Well, if you jump through all of my hoops, I'll forgive you. No, no, no. This is aggressive. Have you ever met somebody that's aggressive? They're riding your bumper. They're up in your face. They don't understand body space, man. They're right up next to you. Come on, man. Let's do this. I mean, they're not respecting any space. They are trying to sell you in something. It's aggressive forgiveness. God is not here this morning standing back with his arms folded saying, I'll save you only if you jump through my hopes. No, he is aggressive. He is in your face. He's telling you, I love you. I love you. I loved you when you weren't worthy to be loved. I died for you when you had nothing to give me. I want to forgive you. This is my grace. This is my mercy. Sin doesn't stand a chance. Grace will win every single time, hands down. This is why it's the hope of the gospel. This is not the fear of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is good news, but it is great news. It is amazing news. There is no news that even comes close to this news because for some reason, God determined even back when Adam first got us into this trouble, he determined, I love these people. I love these people. 
I'm willing to make a plan when I have no promise that they'll obey the plan. I'm willing to make grace available when I have no promise that they will respond to my love and my kindness and my mercy. So somebody here this morning, you gotta hear me. You can't walk away from this. If you walk away from this, what are you telling a God who told you he loved you when you weren't worthy to be loved? What are you telling a God that said I'm willing to pay the ultimate price and you're not even answering yet how do you walk away from this God you see I don't know how to walk away from this God I don't like this God I don't like what he asked me to do I don't like the pain and the suffering that comes from being obedient to him that then operates my faith by which grace that aggressive forgiveness reaches me I don't like what he asked me to do, but every time I stare at this God, when I was yet a sinner, while I was still unworthy, while I had not even anything to hand to him, while I hadn't even been obedient in any sense of the term, when I had been just useless to him, when I was repugnant to him, when I was nasty to him, when I was just filthy because of my sins, that God said, I still love him. I still love him. I still love him. And I'm going to die for him so that he has a chance at being forgiven. He has a chance at being redeemed. He has a chance to have his sins removed. This aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Oh, dear saint of God, I am so sorry if you have been in churches or been in spaces in which the gospel has been buried under the fear of hell. That is not the message God gave to his church. We carry a message of hope. We carry a message of reconciliation. We carry a message of good news. We carry a message that should cause your heart to beat fast. It should be something that calls you and excites you and draws you. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is too good to be true. That's the message we carry. We don't carry a message of damnation. Even though you are in jeopardy of damnation due to your sin. No, there's a God who says, I have come. And I put it on the line long before you were even born. I've come to save you. I've come to redeem you. I've come to make you whole. I want to live in you. I want to share my name with you. I want to take your sins away. I want to walk with you in your brokenness. I have crafted something called aggressive forgiveness that is my grace and my mercy that will win over sin every single time, hands down. I don't know how to walk away from that God. I don't like him. I don't like what he asked me to do. Somebody that loves me that much, man, I mean, my wife loves me, but she don't love me that much. I had to jump through a few hoops. She didn't just look at me and go, mm-hmm, that's the one. I know it for a fact. We met in the airport in New York City. We were all going on a missions trip, just like Taylor and Ryland are going to be doing. There were a number of young people. There were only how many guys? See, she knows three. You know how she knows? Because she checked out every one of them. And every one of them, if she'd have had a piece of paper, got a red line through it. Including me. 
She had to look past my nearly unbreakable plastic glasses. Get her to show you a picture. She had to look past my mile-high flat top. She had to look past the goofy clothes. She still has to look past those. She had to look past the fact that I was a homeschooler. And at that time, she thought homeschoolers were all dumb. Doesn't the Lord have a sense of humor? <laughs> if you don't know, my wife homeschools all five of my kids. And whatever they are, they're not dumb. She had to look past all that. And she didn't. Not initially. She didn't even like me. She still doesn't like me. The things she didn't like about me then, she still doesn't like about me now. But God, God's not my wife. God's not me. I'd look past a lot too. Good Lord. She had massive glasses. You remember the 80s and early 90s, those big old honking things that sit on your face? Dear Lord Almighty. She had a poof this far. No, it went on and on and on. The dresses, oh my Lord. She sent me one picture as we started getting more serious. It was a bridesmaid's dress, so I will grant her that. She didn't pick it out in the store, but I looked at it and went, Lord, I hope my parents are right when they said don't marry for looks because I ain't. It was nasty. Just plain nasty. She's the dress. But it, you got to remember, there was a poof this long, big old honking glasses, and a dress. I didn't see much else, Desi. Anybody with, still with me? Because I just gave you a word picture on both of us. Because if I just did it with her, all the rest of you ladies would be nasty to me later. So I gave you both of us. Now imagine how God's looking at us. All your brokenness. Because you see, you hide your brokenness. See, you hide your sin. You're able to look. You're able to dress it up and look good. But God looks through you as if you're naked. God sees all that's broken. He sees the nastiness of your heart. He sees the hard-heartedness of your, of, your, of your heart. He sees the wickedness that's in your mind. He hears the language that runs through your head. He sees the attitudes and the spirits and all that. He sees all of that. So can you imagine? And God's looking at that. And unlike my wife and I, who needed the grace of God and the nudging of parents to get it together and figure out that it would work. God looked past all that. He rubbed his hands together and he says, oh, but I know what they were meant to be. I see how dirty they are. I see how broken they are. I see how sinful they are, but I can still see the glimmer of what I made them to be. I can still see that spark that when I breathed into that embryo, the breath of life, and they became a living soul, I still see what they were meant to be. And I'm going to make a plan. 
I'm going to create a force that is greater than any other force in the universe. I'm going to come and die for them. I'm going to take all that is wrong with them and bring it into my body. I'm going to take all of their nastiness and take it into my body. I'm going to take all of their sin and bring it into my body. I'm going to take all of their wrong attitudes and spirits. I'm going to bring it into my body, and I'm going to pay for it. So, yes, it's there, but I've paid for it. I own it, and then I'm going to offer to them unrestrained and unrestricted forgiveness. See, here's the problem. We have to respond in faith, yes. But what we don't understand is that God forgave the sin of the world. He did not forgive the sins of the world. He forgave the sin of the world. See, God doesn't look at the sin of the world and say, this portion's Desi's and this portion's James. And this portion is Kendall's. And this portion is Betty's. And this portion is in Owen's. And this portion is Leela's. No, he knows we are in it, and there's nothing we can do about it. He knows we were born in it, we were shaping in it, and we've been formed by it. He knows that it started way in the back. He knows that Adam did it, but Adam didn't even know what he was doing. He knows that there's no solution. So he came and he died for the brokenness of sin for the entire world, the earth, the heavens, every human being, doesn't matter. And he did it because he wanted to offer to you aggressive forgiveness called grace. So this morning as I close, I want to ask those of you that desire his spirit, Where's your pressure coming from? Where's your fear coming from? This God has already made himself available to you. And you may in frustration cry out to me, then why? Why don't I have his spirit yet? You know what I'm going to tell you? Lay down your fear. Lay down your need to perform. Lay down your need for control. And ask him. Because he literally has been planning to save you from the very foundation of the world. Think about that. Thousands of years, God has been planning to save me. He's been laying out all of the steps, all of the pieces, so that I could have a chance to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, all you need to do is give him exuberant praise. All you need to do is shout to him, thank you. All you need to do to him is say, Lord, I'll remove anything you ask me to remove. I'll do anything you ask me to do. I love you because if you have been planning since the beginning of time to save me, you've been plotting down through the time to save me. You know every hair on my head. You know all of my ancestors. You know where I've come from. You know how it has flowed out of Adam and Noah down to this point, and you have come to save me me, then I do nothing but throw my hands in the air and say, yes, I accept. Now, here's the tough part. Do you believe my message? This is the good news. 
The only scripture in the Bible that I can find where anything jeopardizes this forgiveness is if you will refuse to forgive another human being. Other than that, I don't care what you've done. And I'm sorry if you've been to a church that said there are some things that God takes care of like that. And then there's others, well, they're a bigger deal. No, they're not. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've gone. Doesn't matter how you've operated. God's grace is more powerful than sin. It wins hands down every single time. So unless you're harboring aught, refusing to forgive another human being, God's forgiveness is open to you. And from that forgiveness comes the movement of his spirit. He wants to live inside of you. He's offered you the opportunity to go down in the waters of baptism that washes away your sins, that applies his name to your life. If you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, you've already seen slides week after week inviting you to be baptized. It's available to you. There's water in there right now. I can't tell you bad news. I can't. That's why those of you that are worried about revelation, I can't come to you and tell you about all these horrific things that are going to happen to you if you don't serve God because that's not the message God gave to us. I'm sorry. It's not the message he gave to us. No, no, no. I'm coming to you with a message of hope. I'm coming to you with a message of hope. No matter how dark and no matter how deep you are, I have a message of hope. God has been planning to save you since the foundation of the world. Will you respond to him? I'm done. This altar's open. Would you come and pray? Would you give God access? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah.